So last Sunday, I was getting eggs from our chicken coops with my three-year-old, and uh, I had to walk across some of these, uh, this fencing that we had taken down, is like, like livestock fencing. And in the process, I stepped on one, I was kind of stepping on them and stuff, not a big deal, but then I felt this jab in my leg, and I was like, ah, oh, I scratched it, or whatever. And then I just, and this was like earlier in the evening, I went to bed, and I woke up the next day, my leg was still hurting. I was like, oh, I should look at that. Like, I thought it was like a scratch or like a poke. And then it turns out there's like a slight gaping wound in my leg. Nothing too massive by any means, but like a solid half inch wide, like cut open, and about an inch long. So nothing that big, right? You know, just a flesh wound. But it was still open. And, uh, and not healing. I thought, oh, I should, should have put a Band-Aid on that last night. So I'm cleaning it up, taking care of it. And I uh, haven't looked at it in a few days, so I, you know, I hope it's all right. But I was telling my kids, like, the next day, I, you know, I said, I got to heal this. You know, otherwise they're going to have to chop my leg off. And uh, my three-year-old couldn't get over that. A couple hours later, she's like, so, Dad, are they really going to cut your leg off? And I was like, <laughs> I, I hope not. But... It's that idea of a wound uh, that needed to be addressed and needed to be worked on and not ignored uh, due to the pain that I, I think of in light of today's topic. Uh, we're, for the last few weeks, we have talked through all these different ways of starting the year, just kind of prayerfully asking the Lord, what is it that we need to grow in our faith to start the year off well. If you recall, the first week, there's been four weeks of this. Today is the fourth week. So the first week was be still, and then the second one was being watchful, and the last week was be wise. And today, of all topics and all themes, and I think this is the last installment of this series, it's the phrase be forgiven. In other words, to receive the forgiveness that Jesus extends to us and offers to us. And I, I believe that several of us are walking around with wounds. This could be something from just in the last week or for years going back. And the Lord wants to allow there to be healing, give spiritual ointment, give uh, a bandage, and allow the process of healing to begin. And uh, for some of us, we have ignored it. Uh, it's easy to suppress it. It's easy to move on from it and to just accept in your mind um, with the deficiency, but you accept this lie that you'll just like go on with it, move on with this thing lingering, uh, like in, it was in my case with this like wound in your leg. And you think it may not be a big deal, but it's affecting everything uh, from your relationships to your decision making to the way you worship to the way you think about God. And so today we're gonna do business with the Lord. We're gonna ask him for forgiveness and, uh, and to receive his forgiveness in ways that we may have forgotten or we may have, like we've forgotten that we need it or we may have just not wanted to go there. And I, I think we need to go there this morning. And it's, it's intense because it, uh, well, it's the transaction of releasing what is a part of our selves and allowing Jesus to work. So let us... Let us talk through this here. What does it mean to be forgiven? And how do we receive the forgiveness offered to us from Jesus? 
So let me just start off. What, what does the Bible say about forgiveness here? You know, I think there are some certain verses that define forgiveness, and then there are other stories in Scripture that describe forgiveness. And I, I want to give us both of these because they hit on two sides. The, the definitional verse, verses, those are more like instructional matters, a little more intellectual. Uh, and the stories are more on the emotional side. They can relate to us in one way or another. So we're going hit, to hit both angles here. So some of these verses that define our understanding of forgiveness. Uh, well, let's begin with Ephesians 1.7. It says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So when we think of forgiveness, you know, we see two massive themes at work. One is Christ's blood, and the second is our sin. Right? Our sin is that which needs to be forgiven, and Christ's blood is that which covers our sin. For born-again Christians, what did Christ's blood do? What happens to our sin? Well, listen to these verses. The first is 1 John, uh, verses, uh, well, it's chapter 1, but verse 7 and verse 9. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Colossians 1 is another passage that describes this. In verses 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the last verse I want to use to help define this is Isaiah 1.18. It says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall, be, they shall become wool. So these verses describe the spiritual transaction that occurs with forgiveness. First, there is this element of us confessing to God. Secondly, Christ's blood covers our sin so that we are no longer guilty for our sin. That which was once scarlet is now white like snow. And further, in light of that verse in uh, Colossians, where it says Christ redeems us and he transfers us out of the domain of darkness and into his kingdom. So the Bible def it defines forgiveness with verses like these. And I don't think there's much shortage of our ability to, to restate that to one another. If we were sitting around our room and we could say, hey, this is what forgiveness is. Uh, I, uh, and it's important to walk through the truths. My, my uh, awareness of, of this matter is I think a lot of us are, we might be able to describe uh, forgiveness to somebody as a definition, but you may not feel it. And so there's certain passages and stories in scripture that actually help to uh, portray how this works and, and demonstrate how this has impacted people in scripture. So let's walk through these. I've got five stories for you. I think each addresses kind of a different sector all of our lives could apply in one way or another, but you might find yourself resonating with one of these stories for one reason or another. All five hit us in different ways. The first story is the Samaritan woman who is portrayed in John chapter four. In this story, Jesus converses with a woman, if you recall this, this moment. She arrives to draw out water from Jacob's well, 
This woman, now she has lived a very promiscuous life. And in the eyes of her people, she was damaged goods. Yet, she felt welcomed by Jesus. She felt loved by Jesus. She felt known by Jesus as he spoke with her. And it's recorded in chapter 4, verse 14, that Jesus explains to her that he has living water. And whoever drinks of his water will never be thirsty again. And that the water he gives will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And as their conversation continues, there's this landmark moment, not only in his public ministry, but in this woman's life, in which Jesus tells her he is the Messiah, and he is the Savior of the world. And so she believes, and she leaves this conversation rejoicing and then convincing her townspeople to meet Jesus. And they convince him to stay with them for two days, and they are just ecstatic that they get to talk to the Messiah and learn from him. Now this story does not explicitly mention the word forgiveness, but I do believe it portrays the transaction that occurs in this woman's life. The woman woke up that morning feeling another day of shame for her behavior, rejection from the men in her life, and public humiliation for her licentious lifestyle. And yet a few hours later, by lunch, she's overjoyed. No longer concerned with the opinions of her peers, no longer weighed down by the shame of her decisions and her lifestyle. Instead, she has experienced the internal work of Jesus because he has forgiven her. How about you? Do you feel that your past was too scandalous and too shameful, too dirty to be forgiven by Jesus? Well, I encourage you to be forgiven as this Samaritan woman was forgiven. That's one story. Let's keep working through these stories. Another one is Peter being restored to ministry in John 21. This is the same book, the book of John, but if you skip all the way to the end, the last chapter, there's this story in which after Jesus' resurrection, he spent time with his disciples, and one of the conversations that's recorded is Jesus and Peter, and they're talking, and they're talking because Peter... He messed up before Jesus was crucified. If you are unfamiliar, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you with this. Luke twenty two sixty one. in that section, it tells us that Peter was, uh, he, was in the, he was in the moment of denying Jesus. Uh, and he, that verse, particularly verse 61, tells us after his third denial of Jesus that Jesus actually turned and he looked at Peter in the eyes. And then Peter runs off weeping. And he goes away weeping because just a few hours earlier, he's telling Jesus, hey, I, I will go to prison with you. I will go to death with you. And then just fast forward a few hours, some good peer pressure and public scandal and actual persecution and he denies Jesus to his face in the presence of all these mockers. And so Peter felt uh, beyond discouraged. Even after Jesus' resurrection, after spending time with him, we have a wonderful story for us that many people describe as the restoration of Peter to ministry. Uh, in another chapter in the Gospel accounts, Jesus made very clear he wanted to use Peter in a very specific way in establishing the church. And we read about that account in Acts, and it's wonderful. But it was that conversation with Jesus and Peter in this moment in which Peter feels like dirt, right? He feels lower than dirt. He feels like a worm. And Jesus 
asks him the question, do you love me? And he asks it a few different ways. And all of these are ways that for us, we can infer that Jesus forgave Peter for publicly denying him. Peter, uh, Peter, he then felt emboldened to fulfill the task of leading the church. And so how about you? Were you faithfully ministering in some capacity? Not necessarily even in like the role that I do, but in some sort of ministry role, volunteering in some way, but then you fell on your face and now you feel too much shame to continue. Well, I encourage you to be forgiven as Peter was forgiven. There's a third story that helps us to think about what forgiveness actually means. How does this apply? And this is Paul, and he explains his calling in 1 Timothy 1. I have the verses for us uh, uh, to, to read through. Uh, and, and these are just his words. I'm just gonna let it speak for itself. He says this in, in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer. A blasfer, uh, blasphemer. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Getting caught up in these words. A blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. How about you? Do you feel so, <clears throat> or do you feel that uh, God has called you to something great, but you feel too much shame uh, because your past is riddled uh, with uh, disqualifying life choices or criminal behavior? Well, I encourage you to be forgiven as Paul was forgiven. You know, even if the legal or the earthly consequences of your actions put you in prison for your life, you can still be faithful with those few that you interact with. Even if your marriage has fallen apart or you're estranged from your children because of your decisions, today you still can begin to walk in the direction that God has given you. The fourth story is the prodigal son in Luke 14. Jesus tells this parable of a son who took his family share early in life. The young man then, he lived recklessly and squandered his money. And while working with the pig slop, he came to his senses and realized he needs to return home. And famously, his father had been waiting for him. Listen to these words in Luke 15, verse 20. We have this on the screen because this is just so good. It says, but while uh, the, the son was still a way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The story continues to tell how the father calls the servants and says, get the best robe on this guy, get the ring on his hand, get him some new shoes, let's kill the, the fattened calf. We're gonna have a party, we're gonna invite the neighbors. And, and why? Because, and many of you know this verse, verse 24, for my son was dead but is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. This son experienced the forgiveness for his careless living and he was reconciled to his father. How about you? Do you feel the burden of your past irresponsible lifestyle? 
Has the enemy convinced you that you don't deserve to be a son because you wasted your opportunity? Do you feel too much shame? Even though you have been clothed with a new robe and a ring, do you feel as though I'm just too undeserving? Well, I encourage you to be forgiven as this young man was forgiven. The fifth story, and this last one for us, is the thief on the cross. This is recorded in Luke 23. And if you recall, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and Luke tells us that there is a criminal on his left and a criminal on his right also hanging on their crosses. The criminals heard Jesus with all that's happening while he's on the cross. They heard Jesus forgive his oppressors, ask forgiveness for his oppressors because they didn't know what they were doing. The criminals, they watched the soldiers mock Jesus with sour wine and also uh, they nailed that sign over his head that said this is the king of the Jews. The criminals witnessed the religious rulers saying if he's really Christ, uh, the Christ of God, then let him get himself off this cross. And in that moment, one of the criminals rebuked the other criminal, saying, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then that man, that criminal, same one who's this perceptive, uh, you know, unaware here, he turns to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus famously replies, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise like these other stories we've read, this last one conveys the emotional exchange of forgiveness in which a sinner has full confidence that they are now no longer an enemy of God, but they are at peace with God. So how about you? Do you feel that you are on the cusp of death and without Jesus' forgiveness, you'd be separated from God for all of eternity? Well, I encourage you to be forgiven as the criminal on the cross was forgiven. Between the verses that define forgiveness that we started with and all these stories that describe forgiveness kind of from one angle or another, we have a startling application to consider. Will you be forgiven today? Will you receive Jesus' forgiveness today? I think that uh, when I say this, it's not just forgiveness for your sin in a broad way of salvation, uh, but also for those of you who are born again. You have experienced the saving work of Christ. You can stand before the Father clothed in the blood of Christ for your sin. Um, but you don't think or walk or feel worthy of what Christ has done for you. I think many folks here would say, I know that I am forgiven, but I don't feel that I'm forgiven. Or I know that scripture says I'm forgiven, but the enemy's lies are louder and more convincing than those verses and stories you just shared. So let me ask you, why haven't you experienced the fullness of forgiveness, that forgiveness that's extended to you? Forgiveness for every sin, including the ones buried in the corners of your heart. Could it be, could one reason be that you have not uh, experienced this forgiveness. Could it be that you still hold yourself in contempt in one way or another? That you still hold judgment against yourself one way or another? Could it be that some of Satan's most insidious lies have clung to your bones? Lies such as this. You are not worthy of Christ's forgiveness for that particular thing. Or the lie that you are not good enough for Christ's forgiveness for that season of your life. 
or the lie that if you accept Jesus' forgiveness, then you'll feel free to do that act again. Or the lie, sure, Jesus forgave you one, two, three times for that same sin, but now it's been thousands of times, and your Savior doesn't want to forgive you anymore, or is incapable of forgiving you one more time. You used up all the juice for that issue. Our adversary, he shames us where our Savior forgives us. And the enemy's shame drives us into deeper cycles of unwanted behavior and subsequent shame. Have you been there? I have. And if you're there now, we wanna do work with the Lord to dig into this. If you'd say, well, pastor, I still just can't be forgiven. Christ can forgive me for 999 sins, but there is just one that is too despicable to even name. What say you? And I'd say, well, friend, I've been there. And I'll ask you the same question that was asked to me. Is Christ's blood sufficient for atonement for your sin, or is it not? If Christ cannot cover each and every one of your sins, even the most heinous, then he cannot cover those other 999. What do we say about that kind of misery? With such disgraceful burdens, is there mercy to be found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes, there is. Well, perhaps you'd say, hey, pastor, I just feel bad. I feel too undeserving. I'm not worthy of this gift of grace. What say you? And I would directly yet gently reply, how is it that the Samaritan woman and Peter and Paul and the parable's prodigal son and the thief on the cross, all ex all, they all received the forgiveness of Christ, but you cannot. The problem is not your sin and what it was or the weight of it or the consequences of it. The problem is your pride. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus is your savior, then our righteous judge who sits on the judgment seat has declared you righteous in his eyes. Yet in your pride, you've placed yourself on the judgment seat. And that is not your chair. And you've put yourself there in order to judge yourself. But you need to repent of that and allow Christ to sit where he is the only one authorized to sit because he's the only perfect one who died on the cross, not you. And he's the one who in Philippians 2, we are told, was exalted by God and bestowed the highest name above all and then took the seat to which all creation in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow on their knee to him. That is his seat, not yours. And it's his right to forgive you, not yours. So let me just ask you some questions here. Borrowing from the words of Acts 10, 15 with Peter and his vision, who are you to call unclean what Christ has called clean? Who are you, a mere creation, a member of the created order, to tell the eternal creator what is or is not capable and worthy of his forgiveness? Who are you, this created jar of clay, as Isaiah 64, 8 tells us, to insult the immutable potter by insisting that Christ agonized on the cross to atone for all sin, but somehow he's chosen to withhold his forgiveness for one particular sin in your singular life. 
Who are you to tell the great high priest that his sacrifice was unsatisfactory to satisfy God's wrath? Who are you to drop your eyes in shame when Jesus says, raise your eyes, lift your head, stand up and be who I have claimed you to be? I am your groom, you are my bride, there is no fault in you because it's been covered by my blood. End of story. Working through this, if you are like me, there are things that I have to do business with the Lord with and allow his forgiveness to actually heal and allow wounds to actually be addressed. So I'd like, to, I'd like us to walk through an exercise in which we allow the Holy Spirit to identify any areas in our lives that we have not allowed the forgiveness of Christ to have its work. As I've been even praying for you, I, I believe that uh, up until now, God has already brought to mind certain things. But if not, I have a few more questions, diagnostic questions for you. And so I'll ask the band to come up here. Uh, I want you guys just to... Um, uh, play a little bit in the, in the background in a moment because I'm gonna read some verses for us. And it'll be good for some reflection there. So while they're getting settled, is there a sin in your past that you have not surrendered to the forgiveness of Christ? If God brings any shame or unworthiness or pride to your mind, we wanna give this over to Jesus by confessing it and allowing him to replace it with his forgiveness. And so in a moment, I'm gonna read some verses. And I'm gonna, uh, I, I've been prayerful on this for you all, but I want you to allow the truth of these verses to impact whatever it is that you just can't give over to him. And maybe he will use the verse, maybe he will, from the verse, uh, maybe he'll even use it just like a word or a statement. Maybe he'll even bring a, a picture to mind or something a little more abstract, you know, birthed from these verses. And so as I work through these verses, you know, you, you are welcome to do, you might wanna uh, doodle or draw, you might wanna uh, close your eyes, uh, you might wanna just, I don't know, look out the window. I like doing that usually when I'm thinking about stuff. And if it's helpful, just last, last like diagnostic like process to work through and then I'll read verses. If it's helpful, think about uh, another season of your life, maybe your childhood or teenage years or young adulthood or middle age or older age, whatever it is, is there a year or a season of time or a moment that makes you cringe and just, just feel really shameful, unworthy, bad about? Where the weight of poor decision making or reckless living or betrayal against a loved one feels like the weight on your shoulders? If you ask this to Peter before his restoration to Jesus, he'd say, uh, yes, yeah, the night before Jesus, like the, the, the morning of, you know, late morning um, or early, early morning in the dark when Jesus is about to get crucified and everything. Yeah, that was a really low spot. What's your low spot? Christ wants his cross to intersect that moment of time. So whatever it is, let's allow the cross of Christ to engage us. Let me just read these verses for us. And we have some on the screen as well. Um, Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Another is Titus 3.5. He saved us, not because of works done by us, 
in righteousness, right? Not us, but, be, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, right? He is, not us, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He took the shame that we feel. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Second Corinthians 5 says, For God was in Christ, or yeah, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. For God made Christ, who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. I love this part too. For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. I would have, yes, he does it for our well-being. Yes, he does it so that we can have uh, eternity with him, but foremost, above all, he does it for his own name and glory and his own sake. How powerful that is. Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. If there's something that's sticking to your bones, we give it over. It's, it's like a mist. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart, and the hills may even be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. 1 John 2 says, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Philippians 3, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. I have a few more for us. Psalm 103, starting in verse 10, it says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he, I love this part, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Three more. Jeremiah 31, 34. The end of it says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are then healed. 
right? Healing can be found. Last verse for us is Revelation 1. It says, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Friends, church family, today is the day when you can begin to walk in the newness of life that Jesus longs for you to have. No longer feeling the bondage of sin or the shame of your past or the wreckage that you caused or the lies and the shackles of the enemy or the fears that are crippling your, your thoughts and your mind and your days. Today is the day you can experience the forgiveness of Christ in a new and a fresh way, handing over to him what he has already covered with his blood. All right, so I want us to continue with this by responding with worship. This last song for us is incredibly powerful. I'm also gonna ask that the elders and our group leaders, um, unless you wanna do business with the Lord, you can just continue to worship and pray, but those who are um, able to, just kind of uh, scatter to the edges here and must um, be able to pray with others who may want to receive prayer uh, while we sing this last song.